If you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. You'll find that towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, end of the Old Testament. It's a short book. If you're not real familiar with uh, the layout of God's Word, you may need to look in your table of contents or something like that because it is easy to skip over. But it's a story in God's Word that we don't want to skip over. As you find the book of Jonah, I want you to make a mental list, if you will. If I were to hand you a pen and paper and say, you got 60 seconds, write down the words or phrases that come to your mind when you think of Jonah. What would you write down? Just make a little mental list in your mind. What are those words? What are those phrases? Those thoughts? that come to your mind when you think about Jonah. Depending on how much you know about Jonah or how much you've read Jonah, it might uh, have have a little bit of influence on how many words or phrases you list. I imagine that for many of us, uh, the first word or second word on our list would be uh, fish. Or big fish. Somewhere near the top of the list would probably be storm. Uh, Perhaps near the top of your list would be Nineveh. And uh, and maybe uh, the word prophet. Maybe those are the words that when we think about Jonah, those are the words that come into our mind. A big fish, uh, a storm, uh, a prophet, and this place called Nineveh. Well, if you wrote those words down, you'd be right. Jonah is about those things. But it's also about much more. In fact, what often comes to our mind when we think about Jonah, uh, a really big fish, um, that fish that is there in the story of Jonah is only mentioned in two of the 54 verses. Uh, That fish is only mentioned two times in this whole story. Not because it's not important, but because it's not the only important thing in the book of Jonah. That fish does play an important role, but there's other things that work in this very short book of God's Word. Other words that if we were to read through the whole book of Jonah that you would see repeated over and over and over. One of those words is the word great. And depending on our translations, um, that word great from the Hebrew gets translated in lots of different words. But if you were to go back and look at the original language, you would see that word great about 15 times in this short book. We see things like a great city. We see things like a great wind and a great storm. We see a great fish. When we see people experiencing emotions that are described as a great fear or great displeasure or great gladness. This book is a book that is full of greats. But the greatest thing in the book of Jonah is God and His love. Two times in the book of Jonah we have this Hebrew word. The word is kesed. And it's translated into English in a few different ways, depending on your translation. It could be translated loving kindness. Or it could be translated great love. Or it could be translated steadfast love. 
It's a word that we see all throughout the Old Testament. It's a word that I think is front and center in the story of Jonah. Behind the great city and the great storm and the great fish and the great fear and the great displeasure and the great gladness that we see stands the great love of God. And we see that from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4. God's love rings out as an overwhelming theme. And this prophet named Jonah, who, not to be too harsh on him, but with all the greatness in the book of Jonah, we might could say he's not so great of an example, gets a great lesson in love. It's not just a lesson that Jonah needs. I think it's a lesson that we all need. And if we've learned it before, we need to be reminded of it again. And if you've never heard, if you've never learned this lesson of love, let me tell you, it's a lesson in love that you want to know. You may not know that you want it, but you want to know it. You need to know this message of love and the God that stands behind this great love. Now, as we turn today to chapter one, we're going to begin with this chapter. We're going to see God's persistent pursuit of a running rebel, God's persistent pursuit of a running rebel. When we think about Jonah, if you wrote down the word prophet in your mental list, you would be right. Jonah is a prophet of God. We see him here in this book that carries his name and is about him and and a a particular thing that God called him to do. We see him one other place in God's word in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And there we learn that Jonah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. Now, when I say nation of Israel, we're referring to the northern kingdom. This is after the, the golden years, if you will, where David was king and then his son Solomon was king. But we know after that, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And that southern kingdom was known as Judah and the northern kingdom kept the name of Israel. Jonah was a prophet to that kingdom of Israel. He was a prophet during the time of a king who, um, while he was wicked, Uh, had a reign of peace and even expanded the kingdom somewhat. But what's interesting about what we know of Jonah here in this book is that he has a special calling. And this calling isn't a calling to his own people. It's a calling to a different people. And it puts Jonah in a predicament of sorts. And we'll see that as we continue. Jonah chapter 1. Here's how I want us to do this. Let's read the story as we go. Okay, so I'm not going to read all of chapter one to begin with. We'll read the first few verses and we'll talk about them and then we'll read the next few verses. and We'll let the story build as we walk through chapter one of Jonah. So let's begin there in verse one. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The first thing that I want us to see this morning is this. Rebels run from God's presence. 
rebels run from God's presence. We serve a God who is holy, a God who is just, a God who expects, and rightfully so, for us to obey when he tells us to do something. We serve a God who punishes, and justfully and rightfully so, those who disobey. And as we'll see, we also serve a God who is willing to rescue those who disobey if they will call out to him for help, turning from their sin. Well, all of these truths about Jonah put him, as we said, in some sort of predicament in his mind. God has given him some instructions. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. We could translate that, get up and go. That's literally what God is saying. Get up and go. Even that word has a sense of immediately behind it. <clears throat> Don't waste time, Jonah. Right now, get up and go. Well, that wasn't an unusual thing for God to tell one of his prophets. They were going and sharing his word with his people. But this particular day in Jonah's life, he had a call to go to a place called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was in the kingdom of Assyria. Now, later, years down the road, Nineveh will become the capital of Assyria. At this point, it's not the capital of Assyria, but it is a well-known city. It's about 500 miles from where Jonah lived. And God called him to go to this city and to tell them something in particular. We learn what he tells them him to say over in chapter 3. But for now... What we're told is that their evil has come up before God. God has taken note of their evil and something is about to give. Something is about to give in this city. Either they are going to turn from their sin or God is going to dole out just punishment. We even think back to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, a similar warning. God's patience has run long enough with this city of Nineveh. Their wickedness has run as long as God's going to let it. And judgment is coming. And God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, there's all kinds of theories out there of why verse 3 begins with, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish instead of, but Jonah rose to go to Nineveh. Why is it? That when God says, get up and go, the words that start verse 3 are, but Jonah got up and ran. That's, that's, there's an interesting use of words there. God says, get up and go this direction, and Jonah gets up and goes this direction. He flees to Tarshish. It's the opposite direction. We could kind of, if, to put it in our context, it would, as far as direction is concerned, it would kind of be for us like God saying, uh, go to Washington, D.C., and we head to San Francisco. That's basically how it works. Jonah was supposed to go north and to the east a little bit, and instead he went as far west. He headed to go as far west as he could. He went to a seaport on the Mediterranean Sea and he was going to get on a boat and we see that he did get on a boat. He even had to pay money to get on that boat and he was headed as far as he could go away from where God wanted. Why? Why is that? It's really a question that just we, we kind of wrestle with throughout this entire book. And it's really not until chapter four that we get the clear answer. 
But so that we don't just speculate, let's go ahead to chapter 4 so that we know why Jonah chooses to run. One, one theory that we hear often is that, Jonah was, uh, that Nineveh is such a wicked city that Jonah's scared for his life. And that could have played a role in it. Nineveh was an incredibly wicked city, and they were known, the Syrians were known for their horrific brutality towards their enemies. Just awful physical brutality that they would dole out to their enemies. But Jonah had probably had hard assignments before. And we even see later in chapter 1 that apparently he's not afraid to die because of something that he tells the sailors on the ship to do to him. There's really a different reason behind why Jonah gets up and runs. Because he knows something about God. It's something that we stated earlier. That even though God is a God who punishes sin, he's also a God who rescues sinners. Notice chapter 4. All the way to chapter 4. And we'll get here in just a few weeks. But we have to go ahead and go here just to have in our minds the struggle that Jonah has in his mind. He says, O Lord, in verse 2, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 1. What goes through Jonah's mind when God says, get up and go to Nineveh? Uh-oh. God might just spare them from his wrath. I know that about God. I know how great his love is. And he might just spare a wicked, wicked people from his wrath. I don't know if I agree with that, God. I don't know if I can swallow that happening. And so I am going to rebel against your command. I'm not sure I love these people the way you love them, God. And so I'm going to run. And I'm going to get as far away from your presence as possible. Now, Jonah is a prophet. He knows God's word. He he knows things about God. And one of the truths that he would know undoubtedly is that God's presence is everywhere. What does he what does he think he's going to accomplish by running from the presence of God? Most likely, Jonah knew oh, I can't get somewhere where God doesn't know where I am. I can't literally hide from God. But this this phrase, the presence of the Lord, really refers to specifically his presence in a moment of worship, such as in the temple. Jonah, being a prophet of God, probably made frequent visits to the temple to worship God. But now that he wants to run from God, he wants that he's going to rebel against God and not do what God called him to do. He wants to get away from as many reminders about who God is as he can. So he wants to get as far away from Israel as possible. He wants to get as far away from God's people as possible. He wants to get as far away from the worship of God as possible. So that he's not reminded of his disobedience. 
Rebels run from God's presence. I wonder today if there's something in you that really doesn't want to be here today. Doesn't want to hear God's word because it's a reminder that you're running. It's a reminder that God is a just God has called you to, and you're running. When we rebel, we don't want to be in God's presence. And so we run. But number two, rebels cannot outrun God's presence when he pursues. Rebels cannot outrun God's presence when he pursues. We see now as Jonah takes off to Tarshish, he heads away from the presence of the Lord. We see God chase after him. And it is an incredible story. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, that is the sailors there, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Jonah runs, but God pursues. The God who made heaven and earth. The God who who is the creator of all and has all of creation at his disposal, employs his creation to do what he wants it to do, unlike his prophet who wouldn't do what he wanted him to do. And he pursues Jonah. The Lord sends the storm, the great wind that rocks the boat and has all the sailors just up in arms. They don't know what to do. They're scared. They're frightened. This was probably a very large sailing vessel, probably carrying a lot of important cargo. This was what these guys did for a living. So as they begin to chunk the cargo overboard, in a way, they're chunking their paychecks overboard, right? You don't make the delivery, you don't get paid. This was some kind of storm. These guys lived on the sea. They were used to storms, but this was a storm of divine size of divine significance, because God was after his rebellious prophet. He was after his servant. But where do we find Jonah? Sleep, continuing to run, down at the bottom of the ship. If we look at the words that are used, even from verse 3 into this section, we see Jonah on this downward spiral. He goes down. Even the words getting on the ship is the word down. He goes down, down, down. Finally, he's in the bottom of the ship and he's asleep again, trying to escape from his calling, escape from the God who he serves. We see all these pagans running around. And crying out to their gods, and then Jonah gets a wake up call, and I love the wake up call that he gets because you know what his wake up call is from his sleep. The same words that God told him to begin with. Get up. Get up. 
I don't know, maybe God has a sense of humor. The words that Jonah is running from, get up and go, is the same words that the captain comes down to the bottom of the ship and says, get up, you sleeper. Jonah's running and God is pursuing. His command, his call for Jonah hasn't changed one bit. Get up. Cry out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I wonder what's going through Jonah's mind when the captain said that. Oh yeah, there's a God and he he has a thought in his mind and I'm on his I'm on his mind right now. It's me, but Jonah doesn't say anything. Yeah, God God probably has a thought about what's going on right now, but he doesn't say anything. He he doesn't admit that it's his fault. The ship looks like it might sink and Jonah continues to run putting his life and the lives of the sailors on the line. And then they cast lots. Something that was done oftentimes back then. We don't know exactly what this looked like. Could have been some coins that had different colors on each side, kind of like throwing dice in a way and casting lots. And depending on where they fell, that's they would, in their minds, it was chance, so to speak, of maybe... Who is responsible, or at least who are we going to start with, with the interrogation? The lots fall to Jonah. It wasn't chance. It was God's pursuit. God was sovereign over the storm. God was sovereign over the captain's words. Get up. God was sovereign over the casting of lots. God is seeking out this rebellious sinner. Jonah gets caught. The lot fell on Jonah. Rebels cannot outrun God's presence when he pursues. And we may say, that's scary. If I'm a rebel and God's pursuing and I can't outrun him, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen when God is me? Because we know that God is holy. And when we run from him, we deserve his punishment. But let's keep reading to see what happens next. Verses 8 through 10. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? They interrogate him. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. There's that word great again. You could translate that. They were filled with great fear and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Number three this morning, God's pursuit exposes the foolishness of rebellion. God's pursuit exposes the foolishness of rebellion. We may think that we have a plan to run from what God has called us to. We may think we have it all squared away. But every choice we make as we run from God is a foolish choice. And God will eventually expose it. And he exposes Jonah's foolishness right here on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. While it's rocking and about to go under, he exposes the foolishness of this prophet. And he uses pagan sailors to do it. 
in this moment, the wise ones aren't the ones who are worshiping the God who is the true God. It's the ones who worship false God. They're the ones who have the appropriate response. Notice what Jonah says when they say, who are you? And he says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men say, what in the world have you done? We have to remember the context. These pagan sailors would have worshipped all sorts of gods. They wouldn't have worshipped the one true God. They would have gods for this and gods for that and gods for this and gods for that. And in their minds, somebody on this ship has made one of these many gods upset. And that God is trying to get back at them. And so they're trying to figure out which God has been offended. Which God is it? And Jonah said, it's my God. It's the God that I serve. He's the one who's been offended. I have offended him. Well, who is your God? Well, he's the God who made the sea. We're on a boat in the ocean and you have offended the God who made the ocean. You got on a boat and got in the ocean and God made the ocean and they don't know who this God is. But if he is the God who made the ocean, then they rightfully assume that he can do whatever he wants to with the ocean and with whatever do whatever he wants to with whatever vessel is sailing on that ocean. And so they say, are you a fool? That's that we could probably translate it that way. Are you what? What have you done? You got all of us on a boat after you offended the God who made the sea. God exposes the foolishness of Jonah through these pagan sailors and how foolish it is when we rebel against the God of heaven and earth. These pagans seem to have more wisdom than Jonah does. And he's told them that he is fleeing from his presence and now they are filled with great fear and rightfully so. As should anyone who is running from the presence of God. But the story doesn't end there. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah's trying to put the brakes on admitting his fault, and God keeps ramping up the storm around them. Verse 12. He said to them, Pick me up. And hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Number four this morning. God's pursuit results in His glory. God's pursuit results in His glory. Jonah, remember, knows how God operates. He knows that God punishes wickedness, but he also knows that God has steadfast love towards those who turn from their sin. 
Jonah has an opportunity here. He could say, all right, God, I submit. Guys, let's turn the ship around and let's head back to land. Get me off of it. I'm going to go do what God told me to do. We'll all be saved. He doesn't do that. He would rather be thrown into the sea. Now, these sailors, they don't want to do that. They probably have all of these thoughts racing through their minds. Number one, we don't really want to kill somebody today. That wasn't what we woke up and had on our agenda for today. But also, this is a prophet of this God. If we do this, he might be mad at us for killing. They don't know what to do. They're they're at a loss. Jonah has put them in a difficult situation. And so (coughs) they row hard. They're trying to get back to dry land. They probably know something about this God, even though they really don't know much about him. Is that, hey, I bet, Jonah, if you would just do what your God wanted you to do, we'd all be okay. So let's get you back to the port and send you on your way to do whatever it is God wanted you to do in the first place. Jonah doesn't want any of that. Jonah's rebelling in his heart, and God is going to win in this situation, as he always does. He is going to get the glory. Jonah says, just throw me overboard and you'll be saved. So the men, they cry out to the Lord and say, all right, all right, Yahweh. Now they're not calling out to their own little false gods. They're calling out to the one true God. They are now speaking to him and say, all right, Yahweh, we've never heard of you before. We don't know you, but we're going to speak to you now. And we're going to say, please don't hold us accountable for this man's actions and what we're about to do. We want to be rescued. Here we go. Everything stops. I don't know which gods these pagan sailors had been worshiping in their lives up to this point. I don't know which gods, false gods, they had cried out to on that ship during that storm. But when that raging sea became quiet, they knew who was in control. It was Yahweh's God. It was the God of this prophet Jonah. He was in control. And notice what it results in. God being worshipped. says The text says that they feared the Lord exceedingly. Back in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 10, they had great fear because they thought they were going to die. They had great fear of this storm. They had great fear because the God who made the sea was after his prophet who was running from him. Now they have a holy, reverent, great, worshipful fear of the one true God. Can I tell you something? Sometimes we forget. Sometimes I forget. We serve a God who is powerful. A God who is worthy of glory. And He will get His glory. We can fight against Him as much as we want, but in the end, He will have His way. Jonah says, I'm not doing what what you want me to do. I'm not going to worship you with my life in this moment. God says, I will get worshiped even if it's from the pagan sailors who don't really know anything about me. Just watch and see. 
God's pursuit results in His glory. I love this phrase. Even a summary of chapter 1, spoken by the pagans. The end of verse 14. They say, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. God always does what pleases Him. We can rebel, we can run, but He will have His way. Psalm chapter 135, verse 6 says this, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Example here. Chapter 1 of Jonah. I wonder how God will receive glory in your life. Will he receive glory by doling out the just punishment that you deserve? Will he receive glory by showing his steadfast love and rescuing you? God will receive glory. Will we cooperate with him? Will we submit to him? Will we worship him with our lives? For all the sailors know, Jonah's done for. He made God mad. God got even with Jonah. Seems like a pretty proper ending, right? God didn't, Jonah didn't do what God wanted him to do. So God caught up with him. God kills him. End of story. God gets his way. And it means punishing the sinner. Except... Except that God is a God who loves steadfastly. And he has a lesson for Jonah. A lesson about his love. And so this chapter ends. Very peculiar note. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish Three days and three nights. God had sent the storm, the wind, and the waves. God had made sure that casting of lots fell on Jonah. But God is not done intervening in Jonah's life. God has a lesson for Jonah. And it's a lesson about his love. And so God appoints, the text says, a great fish. To swallow Jonah. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sinking in the ocean and a great fish swallows me, I'm not thinking, yes! This day just got so much better. Thinking, well, now is the end. However, we're only in chapter 1. And chapter 2 is about Jonah, and chapter 3 is about Jonah, and chapter 4 is about Jonah. And so without going any further in the story... We know that God had other plans when he sent this fish for Jonah. As Jonah runs 
from what he thinks might be a display of God's steadfast love. God displays his steadfast love towards Jonah in a moment where he absolutely doesn't deserve it. And he sends a great fish to rescue him. Number five. This is how we'll end. God's pursuit brings blessing to the running rebel. God's pursuit brings blessing to the running rebel. As we walk through this passage, what we'll see is the plot twist, if you will, always is God's steadfast love given to someone who doesn't deserve it. God's steadfast love displayed in the life of someone who doesn't deserve it. The chapter 1 ends that way. With God sending a rescue for Jonah. And we'll talk about that more next week in chapter 2. But we must see how this pursuit ends. It ends with God intervening in Jonah's life in a way that brings blessing. Such blessing that Jesus even mentions Jonah and says that Jonah, in some sort of way, is a foreshadowing of the Messiah himself. Jesus said that even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah? Jonah gets, Jonah gets to be talked about by Jesus in a positive way? Jesus actually never says anything negative about Jonah. It's all positive. How? How can Jonah get this blessing? I mean, I want Jesus to talk good about me. Why does he talk good about Jonah? Jonah runs from God. So have we all. The only way that any of us receive God's blessing is if God pursues us in his love. Can I tell you something? God has pursued you in his love. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son so that everyone who is good enough, no. Who deserves it, no. So that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is God's pursuit of rebellious sinners. You and I. Rebellious sinners. Just like God pursued Jonah, He has pursued us. Will we believe in Christ? Will we trust in Him? I'm so thankful that we serve a God who pursues rebellious sinners. He could have written Him off but He didn't. God could write me off every day, but He doesn't. Why? It's because of His steadfast love. There's a lot more to the story of Jonah, and we'll get there. 
But perhaps this morning, perhaps this morning, God is pointing out an area or areas of your life where you're running in rebellion from Him. Perhaps it's even that you're, you're running from His character. Perhaps He wants you to share His love with someone you don't deserve, who you think doesn't deserve it. And you're running from that concept of who God is, from that truth about Him. And today, He wants to humble you. As Jonah was humbled. As he was thrown overboard. And He wants to remind you that He gets to define what His love is. He gets to define who it is He saves. And how His justice is dealt out in this world. All He wants from us is, okay, God, I'll go. Okay, God, I'll do whatever it is You want me to do. I'm not going to play God. I'll let You be God. I am just your humble servant. Perhaps today God is pursuing you. Don't keep running. He'll only expose your foolishness. Repent and turn to Him. Call upon Christ for salvation. Ask the God of steadfast love for forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. And we're grateful for You. Father, in the midst of a great storm, with great fear, we see a great God. A God who hadn't given up on His prophet. Father, even when He rebelled, Father, we see You getting the glory that You deserve, but doing so in such a way that brings rescue. Father, every one of us have rebelled against You. Father, lest we look too harshly upon Jonah, Father, help us to look in the mirror of Your Word. And see that we fall far short of Your glory. Father, but You have pursued us in Your love. Through Your Son, Jesus. And You continue pursuing us. And You bring us back to You over and over and over again. Father, I don't know the hearts of everyone in this room. Father, I do pray that whatever it is that You are placing on our hearts, however it is that You want us to respond to Your Word, Father, help us not to run, but help us to be obedient. Father, perhaps there's someone here today who knows they've been running, but they also know that You have been pursuing And the fact that they're even here today in this moment is evidence that you are pursuing them with your love. 
Father, I pray for that person. Father, that he or she would be humbled by Your great love and Your persistent pursuit. And would repent of whatever it is that they're convicted of. Lord, cast themselves upon the goodness of Jesus Christ. And there find Your welcome arms welcoming them back in. Father, thank You for Your love. In Jesus' name, Amen.